Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. This week in Borex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on Civ 6, Planetfall, Endless Space 2, and much, much more. Nate and Troy. Hey, Troy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. It's good to be here. How are you doing this week? <sighs> Finally doing a little bit better for the, for the most part. <laughs> Starting to see the the light from the sun breaking through the winter and, you know, the family health is improving. So oh. things are getting a little bit better. Saying goodbye to the house of plague, huh? Oh, my God. Oh, March was brutal. But, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully getting some more gaming in. Which actually happened again, so I'll talk about that later. Awesome. Very good. Uh, we have a special guest with us tonight. We'd like to welcome back Joshua here. Speaking of plagues, it's Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Good. Yourself? Good. I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. All right. So I think since he's our special guest today, Joshua, why don't you get started with the first news item? Sure. So we had an update. It actually hit this morning, although by the time you guys are listening to this, it won't have been this morning. It'll be about five days after. But um, for the first time since Gathering Storm has launched for Civilization VI, we've gotten an update for Civilization VI. So if you go on the YouTubes, and I'm sure there'll be a link posted um, in the article for this, you can uh, watch a video from Ed Beach and some of the other developers on Civ VI about how they're updating the game post-Gathering Storm. Um, so I'll, I'll walk you through a little bit of it, but mostly these are tweaks to game mechanics, nothing really serious or major. Uh, they're adjusting the way natural disasters work. Right now, uh, blizzards are really bad, so they're going to reduce the damage that you get from them, and you'll get some food bonuses depending on blizzards. Uh, the big thing is that they're adjusting how climate change works a little bit. It's going to be a little, uh, it will happen a little later in the game, and it will develop a little more slowly, but when it does happen it will be far more uh, violent and vigorous um so it's going to have more damage but later on in the game they've also decoupled the disasters from climate change in that when you're setting up the game to start you can raise the amount of effect climate change has separate from raising the amount of disasters you get in the game setup they've also made some tweaks to some of the the sieves themselves they've nerfed a whole bunch of Maori stuff, which is too bad because I think the Maori are still your Nate. They're your favorite new culture, right? By a long shot. Yeah. So they unfortunately, Nate, they nerfed the units and they nerfed some of the culture benefits that the Maori were getting from their uh, tiles. I, I um, saw that. I don't know 
Um, I haven't I haven't played yet Gathering Storm, okay. so for me it won't be as big a deal it as for somebody. As yeah, like maybe uh, Dallin, who actually wrote the review, it's in the early stages of editing, so I'll yeah. have to ask him about it. Yeah, they also um, adjusted Hungary. They're going to get less uh, units and gold bonuses from city states. Canada, on the other hand, gets a bonus. They'll be able to get extra production on snow and tundra. There are some new religion bonuses for India. Uh, China's Great Wall is now uh, disaster-proof, natural disaster-proof, which makes sense. Uh, The Dutch get bonuses for flood barriers and dams. There's a whole bunch of other stuff like that. They're also starting to work on changes to diplomacy and the World Congress. There's going to be more changes in the future, but specifically for the update that they're teasing in this video, they're adjusting the way the climate accords work. Um, so certain adjustments will have different benefits or malices depending. They've also done some quality of life stuff. So the civilization colors are going to be a little more diversified, so they're more clear, especially in multiplayer. They claim, and I, I say claim in big capital letters, that the AI will get better at making deals and specifically will stop spamming you with the same deal over and over again. That just makes me think that they're going to change out horses for iron and then iron for, you know, coal and just keep spamming. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll give credit where credit is due. Um, the barbarian camps are going to be better distributed. And then there's a whole bunch of other little things. It's really worth checking out um, the video. And then they also give a link there for a change list. Um, that's pretty interesting. It seems like it's going to be a pretty robust change. Um, it's not... Um, it's not like a huge difference. I don't know, like if you played it last month and now you play it this month, you're going to notice it that much. But there do seem to be some nice little things. Actually, I think one of the coolest ones is they've added map tax. So this is something that it was previously a mod and now is going to be integral to the game. And so at any point, you can put notices on your map with icons to tack certain locations to track. And there's also a search now, a search feature on the map. Because if you play, you know, looking for resources, like if suddenly aluminum pops up, now you have to slowly search the whole map and figure out where the aluminum showed up. And now you can actually search the map, so you can just control F that bad boy, uh, like you're on the internet, although I don't know if it's actually control F. But anyway, the idea is, right, that you can, you know, search it like searching a PDF. You can search for aluminum or coal or whatever you're looking for, and it'll pop up on the screens, and so you'll, it'll be a little easier to search the map, especially on larger war. Um, and then finally, for modders, they've adjusted the world builder to make it a more robust feature and a little more intuitive to use. So overall, a lot of lot of stuff, but nothing nothing huge that I would say. Nothing that's like really noticeable or different or wow, this is a huge a massive like change to the game. Just little gameplay adjustments. But I'm really excited that they're doing it. It felt like um, after the last expansion. They mm-hmm. kind of got really, really quiet until um, this one. And now that Gathering Storm is out, it seems like they're being a little more involved with the community. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's good to see. And it makes it sound like there's going to be more coming down the pike soon, too. So that's really good. Yeah, they said as much that they're going to keep tweaking Gathering Storm. They took a lot of feedback from the players yep. right after release. Now... And then Beach while... said he always wanted to play one more turn with me in the video. Right, right. It got me in the feels. <laughs> right. So we'll see. I'm still – I a while back at the, at the beginning of the year, we did a series about Civ Six and its future. Yep. Uh, I wrote a piece. You wrote a piece. Dallin wrote a piece. And we each had our own vision for what, what the future holds for the Civilization franchise. And I had said that I wish there was a third – 
expansion, you know, even more future stuff. And it sounds uh, like there will be. That's that's what it's feeling like. That it's at least a possibility. I mean, they made a real point in that video saying we have not stopped developing on Civ. We are continuing to do stuff. Right, but the question is, are they talking about Civ Seven or and more? Well, no, he specifically said they're not stopped developing on Civ Six. Right, right. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. It'll. I, I hope so because I think that's what it needs. Like that third one will just just finish it off. It'll be all the late game stuff. It'll be all the polish that the early game needs. And there's, it still feels like like the biggest thing for me that's usually missing in a Civ game, even at the end of the cycle, is the AI. So if they keep focusing on the AI. You know, it might it might be just what's needed to push it over. But anyways, let's move on to the next news item. So this week we had um, another dev diary from Triumph Studios, and they're working on Age of Wonders Planetfall. And we are um, they're discussing the NPC faction called the Psyfish and a bit of their background. So as the Star Union was expanding and looking for ways to uh, move faster about, they started they basically created artificial spatial rifts and they would almost like jump from spot to spot and it opened up different um like different parts of the galaxy for them to explore it in new systems and that's where they found the kirko and then they came across the sci-fish and these were like very weird species the best way to describe it so if we're talking so first of all uh, normally, when we're talking about you know alien species, and um, amongst us, when we talk about it, we're usually like, "Oh, look, it's another human with a funny hat," or "Oh, look, it's another version of an elf or a dwarf or an orc or something like that." But not these guys. These guys are really unique. These are an aquatic species, but they're they look aquatic, but they're not aquatic in a sense that they don't necessarily live in the water. They can float above the land. They're all uh, they all have very powerful psi powers. And that's pretty much their main thing is that they, that's how they interact with everybody is through psionics. And um, they're not an evil species and they're not warlike. They're just different. So they don't understand the typical bipeds out there. So if you want to interact with them, you actually have to interact with them and they're open to that. So this is something that's interesting because a lot of times when you're faced with in a game, when you're faced with an NPC faction that's non-humanoid, kind of bestial, you either conquer them or wipe them out. That's all you can do. But with these, this group, you actually can have diplomatic exchanges with them. So that's that's already an interesting thing. Now, their appearance is aquatic, but again, they float. So if they're traveling over the land, they're floating over the land. So you have that. And they have multiple stages. So the first stage, let me roll down to it. Okay, so the first stage, the first unit is called the Chrysalis. And this is, interestingly enough, this is the most human-like looking unit. And what it is, is it's um, if a siren, which is a much later unit, impregnates one of your units. And that's exactly what I, what I just said, impregnates. So what they do is they use other units as hosts. And if it impregnates, the, the chrysalis is the first thing that comes out. And these are like their weakest units. Then the next stage is the spawn. This one looks like kind of like a jellyfish. And um, they swarm. And they have medium-ranged attacks, mental attacks. And um, they basically can make your uh, their target vulnerable to stuff. Uh, then you have the next stage from that is the nightmare. And I don't even know how to describe it. But it definitely looks like a nightmare. 
And this is in, considered the most powerful tier two unit in the game right now for anything. So I'm not sure if this is specific to NPC factions or if it's all factions, all playable factions as well. Very fast, very agile. Um, I still haven't mentioned their mode of attack. I'll leave that for last. I'll first describe the units and then I'll go for that. So these guys can evolve into the sirens and they kind of look like stingrays. And these ones are the ones that can um, impregnate the other units. So basically use a unit as a host to spawn more units. So it'll be interesting to see if this can happen in combat. I'm thinking it can. And one of its attacks is like the name implies siren, like, you know, mermaids and things like that. It draws you in and it enchants you until it makes you its egg bearer. So that's a little bit, you know, Here's something to consider. Then you have the next unit, which is the Medusa. And this is a, a very powerful psionic unit. They're all psionic units. But this is a very powerful one. Um, as the name implies, it's if you look at it too long, you'll go insane. Now, classically speaking, a Medusa would turn into stone. So it'll be interesting to see if there's anything to it like that. And then the final unit you have... Oh, let me see. I think that's the final unit. Okay, so now... Here's what the one thing I hadn't spoken about is that the the mechanism they have is a bond. So what they do is is that um, depending on the unit, it can create a different type of bond with other units. So if they're making a bond for friendly units or one of their units, they get bonuses out of it. But if they're bonding with an enemy unit, then the or you know another unit that's not one of theirs, the bond can have malices. So it's really it really depends on how this plays out. But I think because from the top of my head, I cannot think of too many 4X games where a unit like this exists. Can you guys think of one? Uh, no, not off the top of my head anyway. I mean, they seem sort of like they'd fit in in Endless Legend, although they're certainly not. There's nothing in Endless Legend that's like them. They're right. very creative. They're very unique. So, okay, good, good. So I'm not alone in this. All right, so let me see. So then they talk about their dwelling, and what's interesting about them is their dwelling looks like a reverse, like an upside-down waterfall where the water flows upwards, and their dwellings are over the, like over aquatic units, I mean aquatic tiles, so like on sea and oceans and lakes and things like that. So it's, um, I, th I think Planetfall is doing something fantastic with the NPCs. We've already seen a couple in the live streams and we've you know if you're going based on what was done in age of wonders 3 and you're looking at this you you see that the creativity they're really taking some risks and really trying to do different things and i as a player i appreciate it because one of the major concerns that most players have is everything is very samey everything is you know doesn't matter what you're playing it kind of feels the same and the one studio that's really different is amplitude and now triumph is doing that too so i'm i'm really hyped for this and i'm very curious to hear what people think so dear listener if this sounds like something interesting to you let us know and we'll definitely pass it back on to triumph because they're always looking for feedback from some i mean maybe you post on their forums maybe you post on steam but if you don't post it either let us know we'll pass it on because like i said they're always looking for feedback they're very curious to see what people think about their creativity and what they're doing with the game yeah, right now this is one of the uh, one of the developers that basically has a free pass with me. Mm -hmm. they, okay. they did such a good job with Age of Wonders three that they they could announce just about anything and they'd be getting my money. Um, it, Planetfall looks really good though, I, I, even if it wasn't coming from. Uh, That's high praise right there. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, a game that we praised some, at least in the past, and other times challenged to get better, was Endless Space 2. And this past week, they came out with an update for it based on the community challenge during the Endless Day weekend. And if you remember, on that weekend, they uh, asked the fans to explore 3.5 million star systems, which I think happened in the first six hours. So... As a result, everybody is getting the three rewards for that faction. And the first reward is the chameleon from Disney's Tangled movie. If you remember that little creature. Uh-huh. Uh, it, I have a daughter, so yes, I do. Yeah. So, so that was actually an alien from the Endless Universe. It was an alien from the Endless Universe. We're getting... Uh, a faction called <laughs> Bazrixo, perhaps. And anyway, they are garbage-eating chameleons, geckos, perhaps. Uh, although, no, they're definitely chameleons. You can tell by just looking at the eyes. So anyway, uh, we're getting garbage-eating chameleons as the minor faction. And going with them is the new quest called Munchy Madness, which... And I think I'll just read this one verbatim. The coolest, tastiest treat across the galaxy is a new fast food, Harashuram, which is uh, suspiciously reminiscent of Hashish, which I imagine was probably involved when they were coming up with this. So essentially, uh, the whole universe has gone crazy for fast food uh, that bears a passing resemblance to Hashish. And uh, you get to have a quest about it. And then finally, the new hero (laughs) is, I think they do this just for people like us that are trying to talk about their game. Uh, The name of the hero is For Sagaj Jabble, which is a carefree and accident-prone creature, so you definitely want him on your side. And he was integrated into the Society of Heroes when... A uh, an academy explorer ship. I it says arrived to study their planet. I'm gonna assume this is the chameleon garbage planet. And uh, they picked up one of their dudes and decided he'd make a good hero because he's carefree and accident prone. So all these are coming in a free update for everyone. And I I think um, to get the content you have to actually uh, link your Steam account and your Games Together account which is pretty simple. And then you go to the reward tabs of your uh, profile page. Yeah, Yeah, on the Games Together Together page. And then you're going to link your account, and then uh, you just redeem it on Steam, and um, boom. So uh, you're getting this free thing. And, like, I'm glad to see some whimsical content added to Endless Space 2, because there's, there's times, like... The the Endless Space 2 quests and, and the lore can be kind of dark, which I don't mind at all in my games. I, I actually kind of like that. But um, there's nothing wrong with a bit of whimsy, and no doubt about it, this uh, update here called the Muck and Makers update uh, adds a bit of whimsy, which I feel is just fine for a space game. Absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, uh, Joshua, why don't you tell us about Stellars? Speaking of whimsy... Yeah, not so much. Okay, so um, uh, Stellaris. So for the first time in a while, we've uh, gotten an update uh, from the Stellaris devs 
they've been kind of radio silent lately. So this is the first one in a bit, and it's about sectors. Um, pretty early in, you know, uh, talking. Usually there's like a cycle with Stellaris where you start to get little updates, and then they say, well, it's part of a thing, but we can't tell you the thing, and then eventually it builds, and then you know what the name is, and they start listing features. Anyway, this is the earliest of the early. They're not even promising as part of a thing. It almost sort of feels like the ramblings of a dev, basically just saying, here's some stuff we're thinking about, um, and maybe you'll see it in the future, and maybe you won't, and they put all sorts of big warning, giant yellow text warning us that we shouldn't take any of this without a gigantic grain of salt. Anyway. So basically what the update this time around is, is about the sectors. So uh, a quick plug, um, uh, there's going to be a, uh, an Audix, an Audible extension for Stellaris soon, and we'll probably talk more about this. Or you can read my article <laughs> that also uh, takes a look at where Stellaris is standing post 2.2. So 2.2 basically, so the, I don't want to be too cruel. Um, Sectors more or less died in the most recent update. They're there. They're a feature. You can still sector something off, but it's more or less like a vestigial tail of the current design. It's not really there as if it's intended to be used. Your your empire gets sort of arbitrarily broken down into sectors, but it doesn't mean anything. You can assign your... Um, you can assign some of your, your or offload some of your um, your like planetary control stuff to a sector control like you could in the previous versions of the game. But I highly recommend not doing that. Um, the AI, if, if the if you thought the AI was bad before for planetary controls, you have no idea until you open up 2.2 because it really doesn't know what it's doing. It's like they they didn't bother to teach the game the the way to deal with their new tile system. So this is pretty far afield. But what it brings us back to is the fact that they're now talking about sectors uh, in the latest update and considering some ways that maybe they can bring that concept back. Mostly it's mostly it's things that I, I think you would expect. It's, again, sort of setting up that, you know, in Civ, it's called the governor system in, in, in something like this. It's, it's a sector where you're able to off, supposedly able to offload some of the responsibilities of running the planets to the AI that lets you better focus on doing the things that you want to do, like making giant navies and blowing up stuff. Um, honestly, it's it's kind of necessary. Right now, the planetary system requires a lot of maintenance. So having workable sectors and having that feature come back in some way seems like it makes sense. The current dev update does not fill me with a ton of hope, to be honest with you. It sounds like a lot of the same sort of thinking that we've seen previously. There's nothing revolutionary or revelationary in there. It's basically you will be able to tell the sector to collect certain resources or focus on certain resources. You will be able to give the sector certain resources. Um, there's some talk in there about the ability of how you'll be able to designate certain sectors and control what goes into some and what doesn't go into them. And there's also, so there's a feature in Stellaris now where you can automatically, the game will give your planet a designation based on how you develop it. So if you focus really hard on mining, it will become a mining planet and you'll get bonuses to mining. They're looking at making that work within the sector system more. So maybe you'd have a mining sector or a science sector. Um, it's unclear how that would work in the framework right now. So a lot of this seems like just spitballing. 
that yes, we're still thinking about the game. Yes, we recognize that sectors are basically broken and forgotten and we want to get back to reworking them. But I didn't see a lot of like hard, this is what we're working on. This is how an update might work. And it's more just sort of throwing ideas out to the community to see how people bounce off of them. Still, if you're you know interested in Stellaris, I recommend reading it. It is interesting. You can hear my enthusiasm, I can tell. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> Oh, man, the Audible extension is going to be a fun one to record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm, and, and the comments that are going to come. I'm very curious oh, to see. It's, it's, saying the words Dolores is now extreme. It's like a trigger. I have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a trigger for you, apparently. It is. Well, so here's the thing. And we're going to talk about this extension, too. So I don't want to go too far. I still legitimately enjoy playing Stellaris. I complain about it, but I still legitimately enjoy playing it. And I've put in a lot of time with it recently and felt forced. I haven't done it for the review. The review is written. I'm still playing Stellaris. Right. It's just the, some of the systems are really clever and creative, but they have some issues with them. And then some of the other stuff just hasn't been well thought out or well implemented. But it's. I think what's there and what exists is still a lot of fun and I enjoy it. But yeah. Like you said, yeah. we'll talk about this. So yeah, let's 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 save it for the next. Yeah, seriously. For the next segment. Okay, well, that I think that wraps up our 4x experience on the weekly exchange. But we have a couple of news items that have to do with strategy gaming. So let's talk about the first one, which is Siege of Centauri, and this is from Stardock, and this is their tower defense game that's based in the ashes of the singularity universe so basically um earth's first colony on proxima centauri is under attack by an unknown enemy i just read their their tagline for it and you are the leader i guess of this colony trying to defend it and it's a tower defense game so if you've never played a tower defense basically you set up your like and there's certain paths that enemies follow and you can set up almost like choke points to try and whittle them down or destroy them before they get to your base. And uh, lots of mechanics have stemmed from that. Now, I'm not a huge fan of tower defense games, but I did get really into Dungeon of the Endless. So I'm hoping that maybe this will do it too, because, I mean, looks-wise, it looks really good. Ashes of Singularity is a very beautiful game. And there are a lot of units there. And when I say a lot, I mean there's lots and lots of units. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it here. And one of the main mechanisms that works here is that you're salvaging the... Basically, you're salvaging whatever's left on the battlefield to build it up to the next one, is what I'm taking from... Is is what I think is going to make this different. And you're going to be just pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled. So, you know, again, I don't play a lot of tower defense games, so I can't really tell if that's how all of them go. But again... It'll be interesting. And if you're interested, there um, they have a founder's beta that's pretty inexpensive. And if you are if you are part of a lifetime founder for Ashes of, of the Singularity, you get this for free already. So you don't even have to pay for it. So, you know, another little bonus there. But uh, I'll kind of keep an eye on it. I'm curious to see what they do with this. Um, Stardock had said earlier in, in the year or even late last year that they have a couple of different things coming out this year. So I think this is... After they said after they release Star Control Origins, they're gonna have a few other games. So I think this is the first of those few other games. So I'm curious. I don't know. I mean, if 
all you players out there that are big fans of the tower defense genre, uh, give it a look and, you know, let me know what you think. Let us know. Leave a note in the comments. We're very curious what your feedback is on this game. And um, the next news item, I think, will make people really excited because when Troy had mentioned it to me, he was very excited. So why don't you tell us about that? All right. Well, yeah, we got some good news coming for all us old school RTS fans. And this uh, this past week, it was announced that Warcraft and Warcraft 2 are now available on GOG.com, G-O-G.com. So, the, so, you know, two of the greatest RTS games ever made can now be had on GOG, uh, ready to go for modern hardware. And, and listen to this. The prices. Warcraft 1... Six bucks. Warcraft 2 Battle.net Edition, ten bucks. That's it. That's all you got to pay to get these games. And wow, that is fantastic. I'm going to tell you guys right now. Oh, and you can get a bundle for 15 So a dollar off. You can get them both for 15 I'm doing this. I'm getting these games. I'm going to play them. And I'm just going to enjoy myself. Because these are games I, I spent tons of time on. Tons of time on way back in the day. And I just, I man, I'm so glad they're finally on good old games. They, they should have been ages ago, and now they finally are after all these years. And I couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I think Activision slash Blizzard or Activision Blizzard, whatever they're called now, they're trying to build some goodwill with the gaming community after all the stuff they've been doing of late. And this is a hell of a way to do it. Yeah, this, Warcraft 2 is legit, man. Warcraft game. 1 was legit, dude. That was like yeah. probably the first RTS I played that I was like, whoa, hey, yeah. hey now, you know? It was yeah, funny. I remember was... buddy showing me Command and Conquer in college and then getting into Warcraft 2. That, that, those are good games. They're both really good games. Yep, and this is on good old games, which means it's DRM-free. Yeah. And once and it's yours for life, so, you know, whatever happens, happens. It's You, you download it, you keep it, it's yours, the end. So it's cool. Yeah. Very, very the music cool. is good. The 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 humor is good. The yes. gameplay is of course fantastic. Um, yeah, you'll have to let us know, Troy. I'd imagine those games pretty well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll probably be getting them this week. Probably this week because uh, I got some vacation time coming up, and I'll I'll be looking for something to divert myself. And Warcraft One and Two will will certainly be that. I'll probably play them in order play Warcraft 1 again, and then uh, play through Warcraft 2. It's just, man, I am... So, th- these are the games, along with Diablo 1, which is on yeah. GOG as well. Like, these are the games I thought GOG should always have had, but didn't. Yeah. Now it they does. They do now. Exactly. Man, suck, they're suck, there now. Suck, suck. All right. So, Nate, yes. I have a question for you. Sure. What is Star Renegades? Nice one. I like it. So Star Renegades is a new game from the studio. Well, it's a new game that's being worked on by the studio that did Halcyon 6. I believe the latest name for it is Starbase Commander. So Star Renegades is basically their take on the Star Wars universe, essentially. So what it is 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 that it's a tactical strategy rogue light RPG. And basically, you are the Rebellion... And you are trying to take down an evil galactic empire, which is overwhelmingly powerful. And you are part of the rebel group that just will not quit. 
And here's the thing. Every time you play the game, when you die, you are a rebellion. And the next time you play the game, you continue as the next generation rebellion. So whatever happened in your first playthrough will have an impact on the second one because what basically the evil empire adapts so based on whatever tactics you did in the first game or the second or third or fifth or however many times you play through it the evil empire will adapt to it and that means that it could have uh different uh bosses it could have different weapons it could have different tactics that it does you know and at the same time you also you unlock you unlock different weapons and different combinations and different skills and you can create synergies so you, you know like like loot and gear and it, it's it's really really interesting because you are like you're playing a game in one continuous universe so a lot of times when you play any kind of game that you die and you start and you play it again, you start over. Or like maybe it's a random map, but essentially you're playing the same game over and over and over. Whereas here, you're not playing the same game over and over because the same evil empire is still there. And however far you got in your previous attempt will have an impact on how the empire proceeds next time a new rebel faction rises and tries to take them down. So it's almost like you're the children of the survivors of the first rebellion or seventh or hundredth. So it's a very, very interesting mechanic. And the other thing is this is also a turn-based game. So that's more likely to get me to play it. Because if it was real time, I'd be like, yeah, no, thank you. What do you think? Does it sound interesting to you? Uh, sure. <laughs> wow. Way to douse the resounding. <laughs> Oh wow, Troy! You are sounding endorsement, Troy. Yeah, oh, yeah, God. I could do that or play Warcraft one and two. So, but what if this turns out to be an amazing game? Well, then there will be many people who enjoy playing it. I see. All right. Okay. Well, oh, that's boy. it for the games. I think we have a couple of very interesting developments over the past week, and then something that I wanted to talk about for a couple of months now, but I keep pushing it back because it's just I haven't really found the place that's good to talk about it. And finally, something that's very... Mm. So why don't you start... Yeah, you'll understand what I mean by that when we get there. So why don't you start with what happened in the EU this past week? All right, so I've got bad news and good news from the EU. First off, they're... Um, uh, established media protection law uh, has gone into effect. So essentially this is the very controversial Article 13, Article 11 uh, laws that everyone was freaking out would uh, end the internet. And if you don't want to know what it is, is uh, the European Parliament, which is the governmental body for the European Union, passed these laws that a, uh, increased protections for copyrighted material, and B, add a, or require uh, people that link to news sites to pay those sites for the privilege of linking to them. Some people call that a link tax. It's not precisely what it is, but it's, it's uh, an adequate shorthand. 
Now, so what this is, Article 13 is, uh, is it holds tech firms responsible for materials posted without copyright permission. So if you've ever posted uh, like a slideshow to YouTube and you use, uh, you know, like a Led Zeppelin song in the background or something like that, you, you have violated Led Zeppelin's copyright on that music and uh, they would have been within their right to notify YouTube and YouTube would have stricken your, your video or whatever. Well, now in Europe, these tech companies like uh, YouTube and Twitter and Twitch and everybody else can be sued directly by the content creators for damages for things that regular people upload. So what that means is these companies are going to have to institute some type of filter for all content that gets posted. Now, we are talking about some of the biggest tech companies in the world. Google, Facebook, and Amazon, which owns Twitch. Uh, so they can do it. They have the money. They have the, uh, the talent to create the software that can do that. And that's great for them. But it's terrible for any startups that want to challenge them. Because as anyone who has ever used Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube knows, there have been problems with moderation and striking of uh, accounts or videos or posts or misinformation and news. I mean, these, these are just, when you're dealing with this many people, you're, naturally problems are going to arise. So here we are. Now, the thing is about Article 13, which is the one that covers copyrighted material. It, it last minute, or I shouldn't say last minute, earlier this year, they added some amendments which were intended to protect memes and things like that because everybody was freaking out. This is going to be the end of memes. You know, you can't use funny uh, pictures, you know, from Shutterstock or something uh, without paying that artist however many times, or you can't use references to Star Wars or Star Trek or anything else. Well, the amendment to Article 13 says anything that was created for the purposes, and I'm quoting here, for the purposes of quotation, criticism, review, caricature, parody, and pastiche are fine. There, You can't, uh, YouTube and Twitter, whoever, can't be sued for people who use copyrighted material in those ways. And what this tells me is one of two, well, several things. One, this law is going to be very difficult to uh, to successfully use in uh, a, a judiciary setting because what is the definition of quotation or caricature or parody or even more importantly, pastiche? So, like, if you're not familiar with the word prestige, it means you're kind of making something that's uh, like something else, maybe even using aspects of it, but instead of doing it ironically like you would do for parody or satire, you're doing it to celebrate it. So, like, uh, think about all the YouTube videos of guys out there fighting with lightsabers, right? And uh, using the Force and maybe uh, talking about characters from Star Wars or they're using John L. Williams' music in the background while they're fighting with their lightsabers. That's okay. So it makes me wonder, well... 
what does this law not protect? And I guess you were left with plagiarism, which was already a crime. So if you can quote, criticize, review, caricature, parody, and pastiche copyrighted material, then what, what is this new law accomplishing? And that got me to thinking, well, what is it accomplishing? It Well, essentially what it does is it moves the, um, the risk of lawsuits from the individual to the corporation. Um, so like, l- let's say I uploaded a video that violated copyright. Theoretically, uh, a, a, an artist could sue me as an individual for uploading that video. Well, now they can't. They have to sue YouTube or Google or Alphabet, the parent company, uh, for what I did. Now, if, if my understanding is correct, then the European Parliament did a terrible job selling this bill because they could have said, hey, look, Internet users, we're actually trying to protect you from lawsuits. And what's going to happen is all these rich guys who are for this, like Paul McCartney, are going to get to sue rich companies like Google and Facebook instead of you little guys. They might have been able to get a bit more public support had they done that. Uh, and also what it, what it tells me is there, Europe has historically been, and is even more now, just anti-competition. They, they want to make, it just seems like they want to protect old money in every aspect of their economies. And, he, and like this benefits mainly American companies because they're going to be the biggest. So I, I don't really, I don't really understand what they're trying to accomplish here with article 13, especially since the stuff that most people do with copyrighted material could fall under parody, caricature, or pastiche. So there's that. And well, then, I, oh, I do you want to say something? Nate? Yeah, 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 I do. I think in the future, for our Europe, I mean, I'm sure that the links that we provide in our reviews and excursions, somebody somewhere might jump on it. In, well, in I haven't gotten to Article 11 yet. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Okay, so Article 11 is the so-called link tax. And with Article 11, uh, well, what, what was going on is a lot of European media companies were, uh, well, traditional media is in decline. Uh, how many of you out there listening still get a newspaper in your house or a magazine delivered, like a physical newspaper or physical magazines delivered to your home? I bet it's less than your parents' generation. I bet it's even less than the parents before you or your grandparents' generation. Uh, so these traditional media companies are panicking because their subscriber base and consequently their income has been on a steady decline since the internet became a thing in the 90s. The World Wide Web became a thing in the 90s. So, uh, Article 11 states that search engines like Google, once again, or news aggregate platforms like uh, Real Clear Politics, for instance, would be a good one, uh, should pay to use links from news websites. And this gets me wondering, okay, again, what constitutes a news website? What separates something from an entertainment website from a news website? How do you decide what's news and what isn't? Now, it could be different in Europe. I know a lot of the uh, media in Europe is state-controlled, so perhaps governments can designate uh, certain news sites as media. But I don't think, at least at least not in America, and, and maybe in Europe too, like, I don't think you have to be a licensed 
person to be a journalist. I don't think there's a licensure for journalism. And I don't know that there is necessarily a certificate a, co- a company or a website has to have in order to be considered news. So uh, if any of our European friends are listening and cor- can correct me if such things exist for individuals and or for websites, I'd be interesting, interested to know if in order to report the news, you have to be licensed to do so. And if not, then what constitutes a news site versus entertainment or, I don't know, any, anything else? So, yeah, Nate, this could affect Explorminate to a certain degree. Uh, do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yes, yes. So I've been thinking about it. So, first of all, we have been accused, accused of being a news site. I'm just like, when, when somebody says that, I'm like, really? Okay, cool, I think. But uh, we are not. Well, ha- to, to be fair for those accusers, it, it does say news right at the top of our No, our but site. we say 4X news from 4X fans. It, we don't pretend to be the news. We're not following people around trying to do newsy type stuff. You know, hi, I'm stuff- not a journalist, but I play one on the internet. Right. <laughs> essentially, essentially, that's what I'm getting at. Though you guys write really well, you don't do it because your day job is to work for a news outlet somewhere, and this is just a side gig. You know. So that aside, if we write something negative. Can they essentially copyright strike us? I think that does leave an opening for that. In which case, they either have to, and by saying them, I mean, however this information is going to be disseminated in the EU, right? Because we don't publish this in the EU. We publish it on a U.S. website and people all over the world that have access to the internet can get internet access and we don't we don't localize our stuff to different countries. We don't publish in multiple languages, you know? So there is that. But let's say if we publish something negative and somebody from Europe takes, you know, offense at what we had published, then I have figured out a workaround for it. We're going to have five official memes to represent like how we score stuff and instead of the review instead we'll just have a picture of a meme and be like hey you can't touch us we're using a meme what do you think i don't think we're gonna have to worry about it because i think uh even on negative reviews the companies appreciate the the coverage that we give and we're never nasty we're never nasty even when we talk about uh things we don't like so i'm not sure we're gonna have to worry about it but if I were nasty a few times, if I were you know one of these sites that kind of makes a living linking to other sites, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, or or like uh, an app like Feedly, I I've use Feedly a app. lot. I've never heard of that app. Uh, yeah, basically you just um, it helps you manage your RSS feeds. I don't use any RSS feeds. Oh well, and that is why. Anyway, so I, I don't know how all that's going to work for them because basically uh, web pages that I like to read articles on. So, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. So, uh, the, now here, here, well, here's the last thing about this. Just because it passed the EU parliament doesn't mean it's going to happen because each of the right. member EU nations also has to vote on it. Right. And the soonest that this law could come into effect is 2021. So we're still talking two years two off years, right. before At the least. first uh, lawsuits hit the courts and the courts say, what were you guys thinking? Um, I guess I'm bringing up the hashish again. 
and this this gets figured out because all these words like what is parody like parody could be extraordinarily broad and maybe that's my american perspective what's that i mean to be fair copyright currently works that way in the u.s yes it does you're allowed and parody is the thing that so people have been defining parody for 100 years because that has been used as an excuse for copyright law in the u.s for printed material i got something to add there's that it's it's interesting because this might change there's um we can all political today there's a a representative in california nunez yes i remember his name and he's suing twitter and somebody who posts on twitter under two spoof accounts like his cow and his mom or something like that (laughs) making on one of them it makes what is this this is this is a legitimate lawsuit in california i'll i'll see if i can oh my god this so this guy he's like on a on uh, he's a representative from California, and he's on a subcommittee, like a def- um, oh, what what is he on? Oh, armed forces or some kind of subcommittee? Like this guy plays a big role, uh-huh. and he was uh, all over the news last year for various things that he did. And so somebody made some um, parody accounts. One of them is pretending to be his mom. It's the same person, and another one pretending to be his cow. <laughs> And yeah. they're like they're taking it. so some of his tweets the mom account is telling people to leave their child alone and he's really angry about that he's like don't pretend to be my mom you don't know me nobody knows me and the cow and he's like going after twitter he's going after is he claiming libel or defamation? oh he's not just libel and defamation he's calling he's claiming um theft uh what is oh identity theft identity theft identity theft he's like yeah, going yeah. all over the place so this is and this thing is like this thing is i bet you this thing's going to make it to the supreme court if it doesn't get oh, struck down uh, listen yeah and in, in any it's, case it's all funny until it stops being funny you know so yeah. that's an example of of uh and this isn't just some Joe Schmo, wherever. This is a politician, an elected, you know, politician who is on the in the U.S. representative. It's not, you know, some local. Yeah, well, in in America, I know this isn't true in many places in Europe, but in America, there's a long-standing tradition of bashing our politicians. So he's probably not going to get anywhere with this. Our president doesn't like Saturday Night Live because. Well, I mean that you know, whatever. But like we we, I mean. The the stuff in the 1800s that Americans published about their own presidents and representatives yeah. are every bit as bad, if not worse, than what they're saying yeah. now. So, so Troy, I think you know what you're talking about. We could we could do a whole other hour long podcast just on this subject. Is you know the European the EU trying to affix a real world law onto the internet? Right. If right. if it was you know, 50 years ago. And the New York Daily News couldn't reprint a New York Times article that was, you know, plagiarism. But, you know, nowadays, what constitutes printing someone else's article on the Internet? Who owns anything? What does a copyright on the Internet really mean? And how do we police it in an international environment? I mean, there's a hundred things going on here. And to me, I think what you said in the middle, sort of in the middle of your speech about how, um, you know, this is very much feeling like sort of old world dealing with new world i think that's what this is an attempt to do it's an attempt to sort of apply printed law to internet law Mm -hmm. um and to this point it's proven very hard to do that because it's a different environment 
Well, I hope you're right, and I hope this fails. But we'll kind of keep an eye on it and probably report on it. That's the thing, Nate. I think even if it succeeds, it's incredibly hard to police. And well, yeah, you know. All right, let's move on to the next item, Nate. (laughs) Sure. This this has been the news hour on PBS. Yeah, right. (laughs) We're not a news show. Seriously, (laughs) that's not what we do. But okay, yeah. Speaking of news items, so uh, this this kind of this. This is a piece about online privacy, this next segment. I'll try to keep it short, but it's a result of conversations that I've had with different commenters on our articles and our uh, podcasts over the years. And usually it comes up as, well, you know, you're really concerned about A, B, and C, but look at all the other letters of the alphabet, and this is how they're getting this information. How can you be so worried about this, but not worried about that? And you know what? That is a lot. There's a lot of truth to that. And more specifically, you know, we don't want our information to be shared via Facebook, but we give it up easily through our games or through software that's added to the games, like like Red Shell was supposedly doing. Not supposedly. I mean. It was doing this to an effect. Ubisoft, every launcher does this to a degree, and we're giving it out freely. So how can you be mad about this thing or that thing? And and the latest example is Phoenix Point and the Epic Games, the Epic Store. So this has reached such a high fevered pitch with all the stuff that's been happening the last couple of years since the election that the politicians actually started taking notice, and they're starting to hold the larger corporations, Facebook, Google, you know, what are you doing with all this information you're collecting? What is it all about? How are you marketed? Who are you selling it to? You Do you even have, a, do you have the right to have access to this? And this is going to slowly trickle down into gaming because this is like one of the main complaints that people have against Steam or now Epic or any of these launchers is what they do with our information. All the, all the metrics that they collect. Oh, they played this game for so many hours. They, you know, they were looking at this they were chatting here they were doing that and they're collecting all this info and they're collating and creating like this who you are and what you're about and then they're targeting ads at you so now this is being addressed by the politicians and this is one of those times where we can actually say they're doing something that might hopefully benefit us but who knows what happens in the long run you know but it's interesting there'll be a link to it if you're curious about it I don't really have much more to say. I've been trying to talk about this for the last couple of weeks, but there's never really been a good point where we could mention it. And this week, it just happened to be the right time. So, All right. Very cool. And for our last bit of uh, internet-related news, um, I don't know how many of you might remember, but uh, back in 2017, there was a dispute started in a Call of Duty World War II game uh, a multiplayer game amongst some of the players. And what ended up happening is a man in Kansas was killed by police when another man in California called in a fake report of a hostage situation. And so the, the police went to the, the house in Kansas, uh, burst in. They thought the homeowner was reaching for a gun, and they killed him. Well, the man in California was arrested. Uh, he was put on trial. And, well, not put on trial, I guess I should say. He finally reached uh, an, a plea agreement, and uh, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for filing that uh, false report that resulted in a death. And I think I also read that he's going to serve five years concurrently for uh, sending a bomb threat to the FBI. 
So this person was uh, was arrested, charged, and now he's going to be justly punished for causing a death via swatting uh, back in 2017. And I, for one, am glad that justice here is being served because this is a very serious... I don't even want to use the word prank this is because it's way beyond a prank. Um, swatting is a a very dangerous activity crime. crime. He's going to jail. He's a crime. Yeah, it, you're right. Dangerous it's a very crime. it's a very dangerous crime and uh, results in the destruction of life and property uh, for no good reason. I mean the the report I'm reading here off of Polygon says it was over a a dollar fifty wager. That this person died. I don't. I mean, I can't say if that's true or not. But anyhow, um, it's th- this is a, a, a frightening time that we live in in some regards, and I'm glad to see that the justice system here worked. And uh, this death, this very tragic death, uh, will not go unpunished. Uh, what's what was really we talked about this a couple of years ago what yeah. was really messed up about all of this is that the person that died had nothing to do with the three individuals that right. set all of this in motion so two and i'll go on record and say idiots that i don't know what happened with them because i think they're both underage so we'll never really know because of the laws but they should have been punished for this severely those two idiots got into some kind of a pissing contest and essentially used this third party, this clown, this criminal out of California. And one of them gave an address in Kansas City where this guy, this father, you know, father of two, just pretty much got his door knocked down and was killed because of what those two idiots were doing. So what does this have to do with any of us? Well, for me, this is one of the reasons why I don't do online. Now, of course, everybody's going to immediately right now throw up their hands and go, Nate, you're crazy. What are you talking about? No, I'm not. I played Red Dead Redemption. I played Grand Theft Auto 4. I played Grand Theft Auto 5 online. Some of the crap that I heard blew my mind. I never played any of the first-person shooters. And the games, these games were third-person shooters. But still, like the, the exchanges I heard were like, oh, my God, what is going on here? That's why I stopped playing. When Red Dead Redemption two came out last year and i played and i went online i did that for a couple of weeks and like i heard that same like you couldn't hear it the same way you could before but you saw it and there was just like this insane griefing i'm like yeah okay i'm done so that's the that's the kind of stuff that leads to swatting or when people are on twitch and they reveal themselves on twitch or on youtube streaming and somebody's jealous or somebody has an agenda or somebody's angry or god knows what this is just this is crazy i'm glad this piece of garbage is in prison. I hope that his stay in prison is not going to be one that he's going to enjoy. But this is wow. I've, it was rough then. It's still just thinking about it. You know, I'm a parent. I got kids. I can't even imagine a situation. I don't even want to imagine a situation. You know. <sighs> Anyways, let's move on to uh, slightly lighter topics. Joshua, since you're our guest this week, what have you been playing this past week? So anybody who listens to the podcast at this point can play uh, Joshua games I've been playing. Because it's always in the same area of things, so um, the I'm still playing Hearthstone, so that you can check one box, the Hearthstone box. I play Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the Joshua's been playing board games. So um, most people know I, I do a monthly uh, board game night at my office, and uh, this week we played a game called Via Nebula, uh, which was designed by Martin Wallace. That's his name. Almost. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool board game. Um, where your move, it's very well designed, lots of pretty pieces, it's a great art, 
What's really interesting about the design is that you're moving resources from one part of the board to the other. And in order to do that, you have to open up the board and open up resources. But those are all shared amongst the players things. So if you open up a path for yourself, that's great. But you're also opening up a path for the three other people you're playing against. And so you have to sort of balance the push-pull between doing what's best for you in order to win the game without doing too much to help the other people that you're playing against. So it's a really cool design and really smart. So that's another box you can check off. Then there's the Joshua Nintendo game because I'm always playing something on Nintendo. I've been playing uh, Mar- the old Wii U Mario game that recently was re-released for Switch. I've Which one? Paper play. Mario? Uh, no. So this is Super Mario Brothers U which was, I believe, a launch game for the Wii U. Um, So this is a 2D Mario game. Eventually they came up with a sequel, which was Super Luigi U. And you can get both of those games packaged now for Switch. Okay, I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay. (laughs) Sure. It's a 2D game where you move across. No, no, it's okay. Somebody listening to this. When you eat a mushroom, you get really big. No, Um, I know what Mario (laughs) I don't know. What these games are, I. It's all the same game. It really. Is. Right. <laughs> I've been playing that's why multiplayer. you need to play. That's why you need to play Mario Rabbits because it's different. Uh, I've been playing the the game multiplayer with my son. I recommend it. Um, okay. And then Stellaris, so that that fills your bingo card right there because I've been uh, playing Stellaris. Okay, bingo! I win. What do I win? <laughs> the, you win the the problem of having to keep talking. Hey, what have you been playing? Uh, oh, actually, I was going to ask Troy. What about oh, you? There you go. Troy, go ahead. All right. Uh, this week I had time for almost nothing since this is the week my book launched. And uh, I've been just astoundingly busy with that. So uh, I probably played 20 minutes of World of Tanks Blitz, and that's it. So not very well, interesting this week. I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, did you see what the, the promotion? Okay, this is not a promoted content. This is a legitimate question. Did you see what they're doing with World of Ships? Yeah, um, World is of Warships. Like I kind of got bored with it. Um, I know. I mean, is it a reskin? Is it, or is this something new that they're doing? With uh, I I haven't followed it closely enough to oh, say. Okay. Like, so I know like that they're adding thing, like yeah. British aircraft carriers to the game, which is oh no 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 no, like, no. that's uh, not what I was but, talking about. But I think they're coming out with like a World of Warships Blitz, essentially, which is you know like the mobile version. So, mm. I mean, okay, I don't, it it's I played it. It was all right, um, but I it just couldn't hold my interest like the way tanks does. It there's just not as much you can do with ocean geography that you can with land geography. Right, right. So Nate, what'd you get to play? Well, I've been playing some Thea. Not the latest version, but the second to the second one to that. So I've been doing some of that. They they made a lot of changes for it. So it was like with the seasonal stuff and um, like the mini map and things like that, like the balance changes. So I've been enjoying that. Been playing that with my son. Uh, I was playing uh, XCOM two. As anybody who is friends with me on Steam, I'm sorry if you all all of a sudden got pasted with all these new mods, but I downloaded a whole bunch of mods. And I'm testing them out, and I'm going to very soon probably start a new campaign with a bunch of new mods. So I've been doing that. I played uh, another Blood Bowl 2 match, and I'm grabbing art and things like that for the excursion that's going to be coming, hopefully, in the relatively near future. Uh, Another win, by the way. 
that's just barely I, I don't even know if it's really a win it's i survived with a few more players than my opponent then but i'll you when you read the excursion you'll understand more. an endless legend been playing that and um it's it's good it's good it's very good i really enjoyed the newest expansion the or the final expansion that they did and my son was just like just enamored with it now he's build rebuilding stuff with his lego so it's really neat and uh i think that's it what else anything else nope that's it so i got but i did get some gaming i think i got like five hours of gaming since the last show and that was like what how did that happen awesome well very cool is there anything else you want to say before we close this one up no i just wanted to thank joshua for joining us this week my and, pleasure uh, sharing your thoughts about some of the news items we're not a news show or we're not a news source but just the same and um thanks to our patrons for supporting us you make all of this possible thank you so much thank you to our fans for listening for commenting both here and on our forums for watching our videos doing twitch and by the way as a last second plug by the time you hear this our monday excursion will be up for warhammer vermintide 2 and uh, Oliver's been playing that like crazy, so it's a fun read. So check it out. And oh yeah, Happy April Fools or something. I don't know. Can do you even say Happy April Fools? But um, what else? Anything else? Can you think of anything else? I'm done. I got nothing else. All right. No, I I can't. So I think we'll end this episode. We'd like to thank everybody for being with us. We really enjoyed having you. This has been Troy, Josh, and Nate for Explorminate. Take care, everyone. See ya.
Thank you.